Thank you, Liv. Uh, If you haven't already, let's turn to John chapter 6 and let's continue through this dialogue that Jesus is having with uh, some of the followers there in Capernaum uh, at the synagogue there. Uh, And as you're turning there, uh, as way of introduction, we watched a movie yesterday uh, as a family and uh, in watching this movie about a certain flying boy and a a pirate with a hook, Uh, one of my uh, children afterward said, man, those cannibals came so close to hitting them. And we were like, the what? The cannibals. And uh, we're like, no, cannonballs, cannonballs, not cannibals. However, Uh, That's a great introduction to this text today because there seems to be on the lips of Jesus some uh, encouragement for cannibalism, Uh, yet Jesus is saying something so different than that, Uh, nothing even close to that. Uh, But really, what Jesus is saying in this passage in John chapter 6 is actually Hope for cannibals. Yes, you heard, you heard me right. Uh, this, uh, this reminded me this week of probably one of the best missionary biographies I've ever read, uh, which is on a missionary named George, John G. Patton, who was a, a missionary uh, to the New Hebrides, or Hebrides, however you want to pronounce it, uh, which uh, was known uh, as a cannibalistic island. He became known as the king of the cannibals uh, as he went to minister there. And the reason I say that Jesus' words become hope for cannibals uh, is because it was in that area of the world that when Patton went to minister and to proclaim the gospel there, uh, that, that these cannibals repented of their sin and trusted Christ. The missionary biography is summarized as this. This is the story of an island of cannibals, their journey out of darkness, and the man who led them to the light. It is a story that begins with heads slung in shame, only, only to be raised in joy before the Lamb who bore their disgrace. Uh, You could consider it this way. After Patton's ministry there, uh, another missionary uh, was there and asked one of those who was uh, in that area, in those tribes, of his experience in life. And he asked him, Isaiah, have you yourself ever tasted human flesh? The eyes seek the ground and the mottled foot for a minute or two, toys with the grass, and without raising his eyes, he touches his lips with his finger. It is enough. He has eaten and is ashamed. And at last, the old, uncomely face is raised again, and on it, there is an expression of sadness, tempered with budding joy. It is far more beautiful, that face, than the traveler had judged at first. And he said, it is true, sir, I have eaten. I am full of shame. But, sir, it was in the days of darkness before the light came to Fiji. God is good-hearted, and I am forgiven. This passage and this truth about Jesus and forgiveness and eternal life, eternal life was hope for cannibals even, even on the islands of Fiji and the New Hebrides. Uh, This was the hope that John Patton took to them to be able to share with them that if they would stop eating the flesh and blood of their, uh, their people and their enemies and things like that and would eat and drink the flesh of Christ through faith and repentance and trust of Him, they would have eternal life and be able to live forever. And so it was hope for them, but it's also hope for us this morning. And this is my sermon wrapped up in one short sentences, uh, one short sentence, really one short sentence and another explanation. That is, the bread of life 
gives eternal life to all who eat and drink. And I could say it another way, trying to explain what the bread of life is and what it means to eat and drink of this bread of life in that Jesus gives eternal life to all who look on and believe in Him. This is the hope we have in John chapter 6. And as I mentioned a minute ago, we are entering into really the second part of a dialogue that Jesus is having with these Jews in Capernaum. The day before, Jesus had been with them on a hillside on the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee and had fed 5,000 men, some 15 to 20,000 people, bread and fish that he had multiplied. And he had satisfied them. Uh, They couldn't find him the next morning, and they were hungry again, and they went looking for him and found him on the other side of the sea. And it was there that they began asking him where he had been, and he began answering their deeper heart question. They didn't just need to fill their bellies. They needed their hearts to be satisfied. And so Jesus began um, speaking to them, encouraging them about this work that endures to eternal life, that they shouldn't spend their lives on things that will not last, but that they should spend their life on what lasts through repentance and faith and trusting in Him, Jesus Christ, as the bread of life, as the bread that has come down from heaven. And it ended in verse 34 with them saying, Sir, give us this bread always. We want this bread that comes down from heaven. We want this bread that endures to eternal life. Give us this bread always. Their reaction was very similar to the reaction uh, of the Samaritan woman who upon hearing from Jesus that there was a source of living water that she could drink from and never be thirsty again, she said, give me some of that water. Again, thinking only horizontally rather than thinking vertically. Jesus was not talking about a secret well. He was not talking about a secret rainfall of bread from heaven like the Old Testament that didn't just uh, give them life for 40 years in the wilderness, but gave them eternal life. Jesus was speaking of Himself as the living water, Himself as the living bread. And if they would eat and drink of Him uh, metaphorically, if they would come to Him and believe in Him, they would never thirst spiritually again, never hunger spiritually again. And so Jesus presses in in this dialogue in in verse 35. And if you're taking notes, this would be the first of really three points in each of these paragraphs. Uh, And that each of these paragraphs identifies where our eternal life rests in. And so first, our eternal life rests in the Father's will. Our eternal life rests in the Father's will. Notice what Jesus says in verse 35. He says, said to them, I am the bread of life. I mentioned this last week just as an introduction, but this is the first of seven very clear I am statements in the Gospel of John where Jesus says, in English at least, I am and I alone am the bread of life. There is great emphasis on the I in the Greek language there, repeating it, if you will, so that whoever hears him is hearing him say, there is no other bread of life. He and he alone is the bread of life. And he says, whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. We mentioned that this is a Uh, A quote from Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 1 where the Lord says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come and buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. This was an invitation to whoever. It wasn't about a specific group of people of whether or not they had a certain education or a certain socioeconomic level or a certain background or a certain race or whatever it was. This was an invitation to everyone. Whoever would come to Him shall not hunger, and whoever believes in Him shall never thirst. 
I want you to, as we're going through this passage, just look at this, this, this invitation for all to come, for anyone throughout this passage. But Jesus continues on in verse 36, and, and He uh, leads us into this realization that what Jesus is doing is accomplishing His Father's will. Jesus being the bread of life for all who would come and believe in Him is a part of His Father's plan from the very beginning. But Jesus rebukes them first in verse 36 where He says, But I said to you that you have seen Me, and yet you do not believe. So Jesus is saying, that invitation is for you, whoever. But you have seen Me, and you still have yet to believe. You still have yet to come to Me, which is why you're still hungry, which is why you're still thirsty spiritually which is why you're still trying to do certain things to satisfy your hunger that, that can't satisfy. And you're, you're doing others or not doing other certain things so that you won't thirst anymore, but they're not going to last. So in verse 37, he says, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. I'm in the midst of baseball season with with some of our kiddos and that free that verse to me right there says that God the Father and Jesus are batting a thousand and they will bat a thousand forever all that the Father gives to me Jesus says will come to me which which tells us that this isn't just happenstance this isn't just luck whoever happens to come upon this buried treasure, but that this is the Father's enacting from the very beginning, that the Father has loved in such a way that He has given the Son those whom He wants to save, and, and that all whom the Father gives will come eventually, and whoever comes to Jesus will never be cast out. And so if you're not a Christian and you're here this morning this should be encouragement to you to know that God cares deeply for you before you were ever born here on this earth and had you in mind. Christian, we can be encouraged by that as well to know that having come to the Lord Jesus, we know that the Father has thought about us before and given us to His very own Son. That ought to stir in us appreciation and thankfulness and worship to God the Father for fulfilling His plan. It ought, but for those of us who are Christians, it should also encourage us as we proceed through this Christian life, through the rest of the years that the Lord has given us, that even if this afternoon we fall short into sin and trespasses against the Lord, we will not be cast out. For Jesus holds fast those who have come to Him. It'll be encouragement for you, Christian, when you are suffering through hard times and facing all kinds of trouble here on this earth that just because you're going through those hard times doesn't mean you're not loved or cared for or held fast in the midst of them. That, that Christ will hold you fast. God and Jesus will bat a thousand. They are batting a thousand. They will bat a thousand by the end. They're not going to strike out. They won't even walk. Jesus continues in verse 38. Tells us the reason why this is possible. Look at the word for there in verse 38. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. Jesus is, is telling us here that His coming from heaven to earth as the bread of life was to accomplish a plan that had been made before the foundation of the world, is what Ephesians tells us. Jesus came to make good on God's plan. In verse 39, and this is the will of Him who sent me, in case you were wondering, that I should lose nothing of all that He has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Another one of the phrases you'll see in addition to whoever and anyone and those kinds of words is going to be this phrase, raise it up on the last day. 
And it's important to help us in realizing that Jesus is, uh, when Jesus is talking about eternal life, he's not talking about living forever here on this earth. For if that were the case, why would we need to be raised up on the last day? The eternal life that Jesus is speaking about is not eternal life here on this earth, for we all will die unless the Lord returns. We know that far too well. But there is an eternal life, a, a, a life of our spirit that will live forever uh, with God forever in heaven. And this is the eternal life that Jesus is speaking about. And we see that in this repetition that Jesus will raise those whom the Father has given Him. Those who He came to save, He will eventually raise them up on the last day. For this is, He says in verse 40, For this is the will of My Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Again, this is so encouraging uh, to us to know that Jesus will make good on his promises. Later in John chapter 10, this idea of, of Jesus giving eternal life is brought up again. And in John chapter 10, as we'll see in several months, John 10 verse 28 Jesus says, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one, no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father am one. And so this should give us good hope, Christian. If you, when you were not a Christian, you were still in your sins and trespasses, saw the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that though you are in, dead in your sins and trespasses, Jesus left heaven and came to earth. And being born of a virgin, not inheriting sinful nature, and never sinning himself, willingly gave up his life, on the cross, shedding His blood for the forgiveness of sins for all who would repent and believe in Him. He was buried in the tomb and then rose again on the third day, offering life to all who would repent and believe. Giving a hope that if our Savior, the one whom we've trusted in, was raised to walk uh, in the newness of life, we too would have that same hope to be raised to walk in the newness of life. Christian, that, that message, that hope that you believed in once and for all when you were dead in your trespasses and, and in that moment made alive in Christ, you, you should be encouraged in the fact that if Jesus has done this for you, why would He not bring it to completion? Why would He not fully finish His Father's will? Jesus is called in the book of Hebrews the founder and perfecter of our faith. He didn't just get it started. He's going to finish it to the very end. Or we could consider passages like Romans chapter 8, one that we're familiar with as a local church, having preached through Romans recently, having attempted to memorize much of Romans chapter 8. You could uh, look back to Romans chapter 8, verse 31, where it says, uh, encouragement for those of us who have believed and, a, and a, a charge, a hope for those to believe here. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Christian, Who shall bring any charge against you as God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, and more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Paul says in verse 37, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The Apostle Paul understood what Jesus was saying in John chapter 6. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes Romans chapter 8 for our added encouragement in addition to what we see there in in John chapter 6. And so Christian, be encouraged. Jesus not only came, but He died and He lived. Not in accordance with His own will, but in accordance with the Father's will so that we might be saved. Which is why at the end of His life, He said, not My will, but Your will be done, Father. He came and He lived and He died to accomplish His Father's will, which means that our eternal life rests in the Father's will. And what the Father's will will be accomplished. It's already been initiated by Jesus and it will be completed by Jesus. And we have that as our encouragement and and our hope. But he goes on in John chapter 6. Not only does our eternal life rest in the Father's will, but it also rests in the Son's incarnation. It rests in the Son's incarnation. The fact that Jesus has come should give us hope that our eternal life is secure. In verse 41, in response to Jesus' words about Him being the bread of life and doing His Father's will and leaving heaven and coming to earth, the Jews respond with grumbling about Him, which is an interesting description of the Jews on this New Testament day when uh, they had already brought up the bread that was given to their forefathers in the Old Testament in the book of Exodus because the word used to describe them in Exodus after eating that bread was also grumbling and complaining. And so as John is writing here describing them, I wonder if he uh, took the license to be able to use a word that would be connected there. They are no different than their forefathers who grumbled in the wilderness. And so these Jews grumble about Him. Why? Because He said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They didn't like that. They didn't want to hear that kind of thing. Why? Because in verse 42, they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I've come down from heaven? It would be like you you remembering someone from high school that you thought wouldn't be much later on in life and come to find out they are the man or the woman. And they, you know, have the job, they have the life, they have the, I mean, they have, and you're like, wait, not Billy. Billy, who I, you know, beat up in the back alley, you know, like Billy, who, you know, was like, always got in trouble. Billy? Billy married her? Billy's doing that? You know, like, no. And that's what they're saying of Jesus. No, not Jesus. Saying he came down from heaven? He's Joseph's son. We, We played together as kids. We know where he's from. He's from Nazareth. Nothing good comes from Nazareth. No, no one that, that, how can he do this? How can he say this? And so they're grumbling, complaining. They're disputing amongst themselves, it says later on. And that's exactly why. Jesus, obviously knowing what they're grumbling about, what they're thinking in their minds, he answers them and he says, do not grumble. Or more literally, because they are grumbling, stop grumbling. 
Stop complaining. Stop arguing about these things. Stop thinking that you know everything because you don't. Uh, Do not grumble among yourselves. And then he makes this amazing statement in verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. But Jesus, you said just a minute ago that whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me will never thirst. And now you're saying that no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, compels him. Jesus is letting us in on the fact that while on the surface, uh, maybe as a preacher preaches the good news of the gospel and the hope of forgiveness in in Jesus Christ, or maybe as a parent shares with the child uh, that they can be forgiven of their sins and spend eternity with God in heaven, or maybe as you share the good news of the gospel with a co-worker over lunch or over coffee, or a family member uh, in, in over, over some holiday, they right then and there want to come. They want to consider themselves a part of that whoever, and they want to come and believe and repent. And on the surface there, it, it looks like that was their, in that moment, they made this choice to begin to follow the Lord, and they did. But what Jesus is saying, it didn't just start there in that person's heart Uh, or in that person's heart and mind. This is something that has been in the works from before the foundation of the world. For Christian, you and I, nor anyone you share the gospel, will not come to Jesus in repentance and faith unless the Father is already drawing him. And the, the word here is is used in other places of drawing a net later on in the Gospel of John, pulling in a net from a boat that is, is pulling uh, fish towards the, the boat to be able to be drawn in to the boat. It's a, it's a picture that, yes, the, the fish are coming, but they're being pulled and drawn in uh, with, that, with that language and with that picture. God the Father, though we may choose Christ and believe in Christ and come to Christ, the Father is working behind the scenes in revealing Himself to us, working behind the scenes in preparing the soil of our heart for the gospel seed to land on fertile soil. The Father is working behind the scenes and drawing us to Himself so that at the right moment and at the right time, the right gospel shared, um, you, that person, comes to Jesus, looks upon Jesus, believes in Jesus, repents of their sins and trusts Him and finds salvation and forgiveness and eternal life. This is what Jesus is, is trying to describe. It's more than uh, us just choosing one day to come to, to Jesus. It's God working behind the scenes all the while. And Jesus makes this statement to these Jews saying, having already said that anyone who comes, anyone who believes in me will have eternal life, will never hunger and thirst, but no one will come unless the Father who sent me is drawing him. It's impossible to do this on our own, for we're dead in our sins and trespasses, unable to come on our own, unable to believe on our own. And Jesus promises again, I will raise him up on the last day. He quotes from Scripture in verse 45 and says, It is written from Isaiah 54, verse 13, and they will all be taught by God. Isaiah 54, verse 13. Uh, We could look at Jeremiah chapter 31. We could consider Ezekiel chapter 36. These Old Testament passages talk about how one day in the future, God will give people new hearts 
to believe, that God will give people new spirits to believe, that God will teach people and the words will be on their heart and they will follow him. And Jesus is referencing one of those Old Testament promises uh, to say that they're coming to fruition in me, that all of God's true children, all of those whom the Father has given to the Son, will be taught. They'll be given new hearts. They will believe in Him in that day. These Jews who think they have been taught through school and through years of uh, discipleship that they know better, but Jesus is saying that uh, all these true children will be taught by God. Everyone who has heard, He says, and learned from the Father comes to Me. Again, whoever Anyone, everyone. Verse 46, not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. And he closes this argument down in saying, truly, truly, in verse 47, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. As a kid, John 11.35 was one of my favorite verses. Jesus wept. It was one of the shortest memory verses you could quote uh, at church and get a piece of candy for it. Well, this would be the second best and a better one than Jesus wept. Jesus saying, I am the bread of life. John 6.48. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness. Jesus bringing up the story that they had previously brought up. Uh, just earlier in John chapter 6. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that they may eat of it and not die. Like I said, Jesus is not talking about actual eternal earthly life, but an eternal life with God in heaven. For all of these individuals did die. But if they looked upon Jesus, if they came to Jesus, if they believed in Jesus as the living bread that came down from heaven, anyone who eats of this bread, he says, he will live forever. And then Jesus closes, though, with this brash statement that, that causes the Jews to dispute. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh which understandably, in verse 52 then, the Jews disputed among themselves. Their response is now escalating. Not only were they arguing and grumbling with one another because Jesus claimed to come down from heaven, but now He said that the bread He is going to give them is His flesh, to which they begin disputing uh, amongst themselves. They have yet to realize what many of us have come to realize, that our eternal life rests first in the Father's will. Second, it rests and it's grounded and secured in the Son's incarnation. The fact that Jesus came from heaven to earth. But then thirdly, Jesus is going to show us in this last point, this last part of this dialogue, that our eternal life rests in the Son's crucifixion. Jesus mentioning His flesh here is not an encouragement for cannibalism. Jesus is speaking of something so much more metaphorically, not literally. But again, their response escalates from grumbling to disputing among themselves, saying in verse 52, how can this man... Give us his flesh to eat. They, I don't think that the... There may be some who, who think in this passage that Jesus is suggesting cannibalism. But surely these Jews know their Old Testament well, knowing that the Old Testament condemns uh, eating or drinking blood or eating flesh with the blood still in it, like rare meat. The Old Testament condemns that, tells the Jews not to do that. And so they're wondering, at least on one level, how can He give us, give us His flesh to, 
to eat? How, how can he tell us that we're to be drinking his blood? That wouldn't have made sense for them in that day, but they're just confused about this. They don't understand about this. But Jesus is not talking literally here. And we know this because the same types of phrases that Jesus use, uses in 52 through 59 are the same types of phrases that he has already given to us when he's used words not eat and drink, but look upon, come to, believe in. Jesus is just trying to give them a, a metaphor, a picture to get them because they don't understand yet. They've yet to see this yet. And so he's trying to make it even more clear to them. But on the surface, it looks like cannibalism. And so Jesus said to them in verse 33, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on My flesh and drinks My blood has eternal life. I will, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Now, up to that point, I mean, Jesus seems to be just digging himself a deeper hole for these people who are disputing among the fact that Jesus said that the bread he gives is simply his flesh. Okay, well, we could take that, you know, you know one way metaphorically, but Jesus is being so graphic here that it almost seems as if he wants them to eat of his body and drink of his blood. But Jesus is using this metaphor to try to open their eyes to a reality that they are going to have to give up everything else and fully come to Him, to truly depend on Him to satisfy them, to truly depend on Him to give them life. Just like they truly depend on food and water to give them earthly life, they are going to have to truly depend on Christ to give them eternal life or to give them spiritual life. This is what Jesus is, is trying to get across to them using this very graphic word picture. And this picture is not of a meal that Jesus is going to serve Himself on, but it's pointing us forward to what we'll read and study later at the end of the Gospel of John. A picture pointing forward to the crucifixion of Christ where Jesus will give up His very body on the cross to be crucified for the sins of the world and where Jesus will shed His very blood for the forgiveness of sins to, as we sang earlier, wash white all of those who believe in Him and trust in Him. Jesus makes mention in verse 57 that as the living Father sent Me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on Me, He also will live because of Me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread that the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus is trying to say for these Jews who know that story well of the Israelites who ate bread from heaven in the wilderness, over those 40 years, they still died. And even that Old Testament picture of bread from heaven, God providing for their physical earthly life for a time, was just a, a picture of the Lord's provision that would come in Jesus Christ. Jesus, who claimed to be the bread of life, who would give His body on the cross and shed His blood on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. And again, Jesus is saying, whoever would feed on Him, as the bread of life, will live forever. Whoever will drink of Him will live forever. And so this is hope. This is hope for the person who has come here uh, not as a Christian and yet considering how they can satisfy their eternal soul. 
the person who's come here to consider the words of Christ this morning and to hear some crazy statements by Jesus saying to eat of his body and to drink of his blood and you will have eternal life. If you've come here this morning and and you're not a Christian, hear Jesus' words metaphorically encouraging you to not truly eat or drink of flesh and blood, but to come, to look upon, to believe in Jesus, to depend upon Him, to be satisfied by Him. This is encouragement for those of us who have trusted in Christ, have come to Christ, that our eternal life is secure because it is according to the Father's plan that, that Jesus left heaven and came to earth to make it possible for you. That Jesus went to the cross bearing your sin and your shame to make your salvation possible for you. Your eternal life does not rest on how much you give or how good you obey or how faithful your attendance is or how peaceful your life looks on the outside. Your eternal life does not rest in the fact that you don't sin today, but it rests in the fact that Jesus never sinned and He died in your place. Some have taken this passage to, uh, well, let me say this. Obviously, there's uh, an application here for those of us who are Christians for later on in uh, the Gospels, uh, we see Jesus taking bread and juice to be representative of His body and His blood uh, that we are to eat and to drink in remembrance of, of Christ uh, as a symbolic uh, act of worship that we will participate in today as, as Christians and as members of the Fields Church. Um, that's a good and right application to eat bread together as the church uh, and to drink juice in remembrance of Jesus's blood that uh, was shed for us. But it would be a, a wrong application, uh, as some do, to read the Lord's Supper back into this passage. For the Lord's Supper has not been uh, begun yet. Jesus has not enacted it yet. And so to read the Lord's Supper back into this and to say, as some do, many do, including those in the Roman Catholic Church, that when a priest blesses the bread and the cup, that it actually becomes the body and the blood of Jesus is so wrong. It's so wrong because Jesus obviously didn't have a literal rendering of this passage and and think that we are to read back into this what Jesus was saying there. Jesus had a metaphorical uh, meaning to this here. And so it's more faithful for us to take the institutions of the Lord's Supper in Matthew chapter 26 or Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 11 about the Lord's Supper to say these are just pieces of bread and cups of juice that are reminders for us. And when we eat and we drink of them, there is no special eating of Christ's actual body or drinking of Christ's actual blood. No, it we are to eat and to drink, as the Bible says, in remembrance of Christ and His body and His blood that was given for us. And so I wanted to share that because there is a big divide in so-called Christianity in that area. But Jesus is encouraging us in a different direction here. That is to simply come and to look upon and to believe in Jesus. In fact, this is the hope that we have in Jesus uh, that we read from Isaiah in chapter 55, an invitation for all to come. 
We read in John chapter 6 about an invitation for whoever and anyone and everyone to come and to eat and to drink. But then we can skip ahead to the end of the story in Revelation chapter 7. In Revelation chapter 7 in verse 13, it says that one of the elders addressed me. This being John, the writer of the Gospel of John, the writer of the book of Revelation. And it says that one of the elders addressed me saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? And I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and He will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Christian, if you have seen Jesus as the bread of life, the one who offers eternal life, and you've come to Him, you've repented of your sins, and you've trusted Christ alone to satisfy you and to offer you forgiveness of your sins, know that this is not only a future hope that we can read about in Revelation chapter 7 that is to come, but it's a present reality for you spiritually. It's what you have available to you right here, right now, eternal life. And though you may physically die today, this year, or this decade, or in the decades to come, you will spend eternity with God because Christ has come. He has died and He's risen from the dead. He's revealed Himself to you and you've repented of your sins and, and believed in Him. It's a future hope, but it's also a present reality. And if that's a present reality for you, Christian, and if eternal life is stored up for you, resting and secure in the Father's will, in the Son's incarnation that's already happened, in the Son's crucifixion that's already happened, I could go on and say the Son's resurrection, which has already happened. If your eternal life rests in those truths and is secure in those truths, why would we not spend our earthly lives so that others might know that hope of eternal life. That's what John Patton did. That's what he spent his life doing. In fact, he says, and is quoted in that biography I, I told you about, God gave His best, His Son, to me. And I give back my best, my all to Him. In preparing, as Richie's been preparing to go on the mission field, um, John Patton was sharing with others about his hope of going to these islands of cannibals. And, and at one point, uh, one dear Christian saint cried out, The cannibals! You'll be eaten by the cannibals! And to this, Patton replied, Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years now. And your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave, there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me whether I'm eaten by cannibals or by worms. And in the great day of my resurrection, uh, great day, my resurrection body will arise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. Why, Christian? If we have an eternal life that is secure in the Father's will, in the Son's incarnation, and in the Son's crucifixion, would we spend the rest of the years given to us simply for earthly goals, simply for earthly satisfaction, simply for more earthly peace or more earthly comfort or more earthly enjoyment, when there are eternal souls who will live and die and experience not eternal life, but it's eternal death if we don't spend our earthly lives hoping to share this hope of eternal life with them. 
Christian, church, let's spend our lives well like Patton did, knowing that Jesus being the bread of life uh, is hope for cannibals even, sinners who are in need of a Savior. We experience that. We were once dead in our sins and trespasses. Why would we not go and share this gospel with others for them to find out that the Father is drawing them to Himself? Christian, that's, that's our job. It's just to go out and find those whom the Lord is drawing to Himself. Share the good news of the gospel of Jesus, His incarnation, His crucifixion, His resurrection with them so that they, upon hearing that, might look upon Jesus, come to Jesus, believe in Jesus. You don't have to convince them, Christian. You simply have to find those whom the Father is already drawing to Himself and reveal the truth of the gospel to them. And if you're not a Christian, you're here this morning, and you feel yourself being drawn by the Lord, not kicking and screaming, but joyfully wanting to be forgiven of your sins, desiring to be satisfied, to have eternal life secure for you one day. If you sense the Lord drawing you to Himself this morning, would you this morning repent of your sins, confess that you have sinned against God, ask Christ Jesus who died and rose from the dead to forgive you of your sins and lay down everything in this life to follow Him. For He alone is the bread of life and offers eternal life to all who would repent and believe. Let's pray. Father, would You help us this morning as we consider these truths to treasure You even more so. God, I pray that You would help us as Christians, as members of the Fields Church, as we eat and drink of this bread and this juice this morning, that we would do so in remembrance of You. Jesus, that You symbolically, or You actually gave Your body and Your, your blood for us, but we eat this bread and this juice symbolically in remembrance of You. And God, I pray that while we as Christians are eating of this bread and this juice together as an act of worship to You, I pray that if there is someone here who is feeling drawn by You, considering looking upon You and coming to You and believing in You this morning, that they would do so in this moment. Jesus, You are the bread of life. You are our only hope. And I pray that we would realize that and worship you as such this morning in a fresh and new way. We ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.